the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Gennetti. It's Sunday, August 27th. Final preseason game is happening as we speak. Roster cutdowns are in 48 hours, not even. We'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about some of the teams that have made some moves already, Arizona being one of them. We'll talk a little bit about Victor Hovland's unbelievable run here down the stretch and where that landed him in terms of money over the past seven days. And a little NBA news. And, and it's not so much news as it is my reaction to the lack of news and why this feels like for the second offseason in a row that we get a big crescendo of, of normalcy with free agency. And then, like I said, lately, maybe some, some kind of ugliness. And I wonder if that ugliness is now leading to a little bit more of a trend. I'll speak on that a little bit in the middle of this show. And then a little bit more NFL. And we'll get out of here. It's a bounce around type, type of day. It's going to be a bounce around bunch of shows here coming up because there's just a, a little bit of everything happening with all these sports. And uh, certainly with baseball postseason around the corner, we'll start to dive into that as well. Hope you enjoy. Trey Lance leaves the San Francisco 49ers for the longtime rival Dallas Cowboys. This is layered. This is something about Trey Lance. This is something about the Cowboys. This is very little about the 49ers because we've already discussed why this is here in the first place. Uh, massive trade-up first-round draft bust. That's what Trey Lance is. He's got a chance to write that ship. Certainly young enough to, uh, to do so given the opportunity. He's not going to have the opportunity in Dallas, at least not in the interim because Dak Prescott's contract is standing in the way. Uh, this is a leverage play for a lot of reasons for Dallas. A, it's leverage in case contract negotiations with Dak break down. They have before. It was a struggle to get him under contract. And there's a massive cap hit on Dak's side, giving him tons of leverage this coming offseason. So Trey Lance is here. He can spend the entire season figuring things out behind the scenes, getting up to speed. And he is fully guaranteed next year should Dallas need his services, especially for a backup role. That's where this starts. What happens if he gets up to speed, he's fully guaranteed, Dallas decides Dak is still going to be the guy, they lock him into a four-year extension, no longer need Trey Lance's services, but he does enough through an offseason, possibly through a couple of preseason games to warrant an August 2024 trade, giving Dallas now power to flip this contract for what could be a decent draft pick, right? They gave up a fourth. I thought it was an overreach. It sounds like other teams were offering fifths. I get what Dallas is doing here. A, they kind of need it from a backup leverage perspective. Not that Trey Lance has done anything to prove that he's worth leverage. And B, there's a chance this is an asset for them, a trade chip at some point in time over the next 12 months. To me, there's always value in that because this is the quarterback position. This isn't a right tackle. <laughs> this isn't a nickel safety. It's not. This is a quarterback with tons of upside who was a initial high pick. Do these guys generally bounce back? Nope. Hell no, actually. We have almost no examples of guys getting to this point and then resuscitating their career. You can say Tannehill's sort of this. I'll give it to you about halfway, 50-50, because he was a at least an option in, in Miami to the point of where he got extended, won games, showed some sort of inkling that he was worth being a franchise option, and then it fizzled out, he was released, and he did resuscitate his career in Tennessee. We're not even close to there. I mean, that conversation is a mile and a half away from where this is with Trey Lance, who has flamed out in training camp now two straight seasons. 
and they're not shy about it. As I mentioned on the last show, the fact that they got a fourth round pick has nothing to do with the, with, the, with them selling this thing on Twitter. All right. They, uh, they were pretty clear that he was not a fit for that franchise and they needed to move on. Now they came out and said they'd keep him if they have to, because they, you know, everybody needs three quarterbacks right now, but that's not the case. Dallas overpaid a little bit from a draft perspective. Let's talk about the contract quickly. Then I'll tell you about Dak Prescott's contract and we'll move on. Trey Lance brings over a fully guaranteed $940,000 guaranteed salary. It's a minimum salary. Why is it that low? Because the San Francisco 49ers already paid out a $2.8 million roster bonus at the start of training camp. That's how these early contracts are structured. So San Francisco waited a little long to do this. They had to do it that way. They had to get to a point where he didn't win the QB2 spot, even though Sam Darnold probably was penciled in at that role all the way back in March when he was signed. So it's absolutely dirt cheap for Dallas to start this thing, $940,000. All of next year, though, 2024, is also fully guaranteed. That's a $1 million salary. That's a $4.2 million roster bonus. Total of $5.3 million next year. Total of $6.25 million over the next two seasons. Is there a world where he is not in, in Dallas and he is released at some point in time? Yep, that's not enough money not to, not to get away from if you have to. So I think nothing's stable. I thought the fourth rounder was an overpay, but here we are. This is what happens when quarterbacks fall by the wayside at age 23 and change. Somebody's going to give him a second chance, and there's a chance that somebody gives him a third chance as well because he's mobile. There are signs that he can do this thing with the right system. It wasn't San Francisco. Like I said, I'm not betting on the fact that he's going to be a starting quarterback in this league at any point in time, but I get what Dallas is doing here. It's not as complicated as they're trying to bump Dak Prescott off the mountain and this is the guy in line. If you believe that to be true, you have not been watching Trey Lance. <laughs> okay. Now, he hasn't been given a fair shake. There's no question about that. All right. He has not been given a full opportunity to show what he can do. A, with the injury. B, with the back, you know, the, you know, the log jam that has become quarterbacks in that rotation in San Francisco. Will he get a chance in Dallas? Maybe. All right. They're going to release Will Greer or at least put him on waivers. So there's a world where a Dak Prescott injury forces this guy into the spotlight, and we all get to see exactly what we have here. Again, that won't be a fair shake, but we'll be able to see more of this guy. So I get what Dallas is doing, but let's talk about this Dak contract because it is the cream that keeps things rising in terms of sports media right now, right? Nothing is more valuable in terms of content to sports media than the quarterback contract of the Dallas Cowboys. So let's talk about it. Um, he's going to make $31 million guaranteed this year. They've converted two times, three times on this contract. Out of three seasons, they have restructured conversions three times. That's Dallas in a nutshell for you. And that's why the 2024 cap it is $59.4 million right now, and the dead cap associated with that is almost $62 million. Okay, That's why there's cause for concern with a lot of people in Dallas. That's why there's a lot of people saying either this guy's got to get an extension or they got to get out of this thing. Now, you want to get fancy? You want to get semantical with me? A post-June 1st release does save cash or cap, excuse me, not, not cash. There's no cash involved next year until week one. There's a $34 million post-June 1st savings if you want to carry $59.4 million until June 1st, 2024. So I've already had tons of pushback on this, that yes, there's cap savings if they do this, that's never going to happen. Okay. Dallas, Dallas is not carrying 59 and change 
to June 1st just to make a move. It's not happening. If they release him, it's a $62 million dead cap hit. And it's negative $2.4 million in terms of savings. So they can take on that gigantic dead cap hit and then lose another $2.5 million. That's what moving on from Dak does. It's not happening, folks. He's going to get a four-year extension. They're going to lower that cap hit by about $35 million, and they're going to continue to do what they do, which is restructure base salaries every single offseason and, and take it down as much as possible. And by the way, if they don't, if they just want to ride this thing out and take a little bit off of that thing, maybe convert the roster bonus in March, which is $5 million, into a signing bonus and save $4 million of it, what that means is they can essentially carry him at $55 million for next year in terms of a cap hit, Dak Prescott. Let him walk into free agency and take on a $36.4 million dead cap hit because of void years in March of 2025. So if they believe Trey Lance or drafted quarterback or free agent acquisition in 2024 or five is going to be the next man up and Dak's going to be out the door, they can simply just ride things out. Dak has a no tag clause. Dak has a no trade clause. So there's very little control that Dallas has with it, but they can simply decide there's no extension coming. I don't think Dak Prescott's going to hold out because 34 million cash is pretty good coin for him in 2024. So I think that all parties would agree that we're not going to extend him because it's too much of a cap hassle and a cash hassle, certainly at this point with $50 million plus in everybody's back pocket. We're just going to ride this thing like Minnesota's doing with Kirk Cousins, I think is a pretty real, you know, realistic comp, by the way. So there's avenues that Dak Prescott is not the quarterback in 2025. But if you're telling me about this in 2024, I'm not there. And this Trey Lance trade has absolutely nothing to do with 2024. 2025 is a different story based on what I just laid out. And there's ways out, one of them being just let this thing ride. We'll see where we go. We'll see what we get to. But all things considered, what Dallas has done here is taken either an internal shot or an external trade chip shot on acquiring the most important position in sports. A little golf. Victor Hovland took a New York Giants-style run late down the stretch into a FedEx Cup championship and an $18 million bonus for his efforts. He had an unbelievable past two weeks, really an unbelievable six weeks, um, all things considered here. But just in terms of last week and this week, certainly goes super low last Sunday to come out of nowhere and take the victory in the BMW. And the FedEx Cup plus that BMW championship has coined him $21.6 million over the past calendar week. Uh, that will do. It's not live money. You know, we're not going to walk down that path right now, but this is what you can do if you hit lightning at the right time in the PGA. And that's what Victor Hovland has done. Really an unlikely candidate to ever get to this top of the PGA mountain, but he's there and he's earned it. And it looks like he's having fun doing it. I saw him in person this year for the first time at the Oak Hill major. He was not in contention and he was having a hell of a lot of fun. And that's just the kind of player you're kind of rooting for right now. So tons of money in his back pocket to finish this thing off. Uh, golf's not going away for long. Don't worry. It's about a six-week turnaround before this PGA Tour gets right back on with some optional tournaments and things like that. 
Um, but look, there's a lot more to talk about with the PGA Tour, and that's sort of why I brought it up here a little bit. A, tons of money today won in terms of the $18 million bonus. B, the offseason for the PGA Tour and Live Golf and the Saudi situation could not be more fascinating. We're going to follow it with a microscope. We're going to try to understand where this thing is going, what kind of merger, what kind of path, what kind of scheduling, how the money's going to work, how the will there be team play, how, how are we going to get these live players back into the same pipeline as the PGA players gracefully and maybe with some sign of reparations? I've heard all these things floated and I think it's all realistic. So what we're literally going to do is start from scratch with golf and hopefully get to a scenario where within the next two months or so, we know exactly what's happening for at least the upcoming season. And my guess is it's going to be phase one in 2024 and another phase in 2025 when you know, some of the loopholes have to be closed and things like that. But it could not be a more fascinating situation for golf and the PGA Tour and the live scenario because of this merger, which, by the way, has just gone completely ghost on us. Have, has, has anyone heard a thing about this since it was initially announced? I feel like it was just a save face announcement that, all right, we're all going to play nice eventually. And now we just have to sit around and wait for eventually to happen, even though now we're at the end of the PGA ride and you know, there's a Ryder Cup in front of us and lots to think about. But I, I can't s- sit here and think more about a more fascinating situation in sports outside of maybe, maybe where college football is headed which is similar, right? But even grander and with billions of dollars. It's literally going to be open up the chalkboard, take out a piece of chalk. How are we going to do this? That's literally what's happening. My guess is these conversations are happening behind the scene and they're simply not being public about it. And the reason I'm confident in saying that is not a single person who was not involved knew that this merger was ever coming in the first place. It was one of the most quietly submitted requests in modern in social media sports history. Let's put it that way. Okay. Even the people who are absolute insiders in this sport did not see that coming. Again, it's gone away since. So my guess is they are feverishly working this thing out behind the scenes and there'll be some sort of announcement coming now that the FedEx Cup is what has been won. But I'm pumped for it. I can't wait to follow it step by step and see where this thing is headed. Obviously there's a a monetary side to this and what's going to happen with the finances and how will that change in terms of how we track it and, and over a scheduling period and, and with the point system. Um, I just think we're in for really a fun scenario with golf. So something we're following. I mentioned college football. Um, we're fully prepared for what's coming with college football. And, and there are many of avenues this could go. Could be a scenario where it simply becomes a pro sport and they're no longer considered amateurs. It could be a scenario with where the college football platform breaks off of the rest of sport, the collegiate sports and remains amateur, but operates their conferences separately from everybody else. I've heard that quite a few times. I like it every time I hear it, maybe even more every time I hear it. Um, I want the Olympic sports and things like that to get their due. They've never properly gotten it outside of the money that trickles down from the football program. I don't want that to stop necessarily. But I also don't want rivalries in smaller sports where it really matters. It's really impactful to have small sport rivalry. I don't want those to be impacted immediately because the football programs are all throwing each other around right now trying to get the most money and, and, and TV rights and et cetera. 
I see both sides of the spectrum. I'm not saying it's wrong what football's doing. I get it. You know, they're 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 chasing as many dollars as possible and chasing the best schedule possible for a playoff scenario, which is expanding on its own. So we're prepared for, I think, all of these things to happen at Spot Track. Uh, my guess is that nil will still exist on some platform. We're not going to try to track that just yet on the site because uh, it's really an ancillary endorsement type thing that we've never really dip, dove into. We'll speak to it at times, but it's not something that we're going to staff and try to track inter- internally alongside these on-court, on-field earnings. But at some point in time, you know, the, the question of amateur status with this college football program is going to come into question. Uh, we've had people on here saying that a lot for a lot of years now. Most of the things that have been rumored about college football have eventually come to fruition. In my opinion, that's probably what happens next. So at some point in time, you know, we may be tracking a player from their freshman year in college to the 20th year of their actual professional career in, in one of these pro leagues. And it's just going to be essentially a minor league system that pays pretty darn well because the TV rights are insane. So we're ready for it. We're ready for it. And again, we're ready for the golf change. And uh, hopefully that's coming around the corner. Quickly with the NBA here. Uh, it's been a minute since I've talked about the NBA and, and that's sort of what I want to talk about. Generally speaking, for the past, I don't know, five to seven years, at least, July and August have been a minefield of NBA bombs. Good ones, like legitimate superstars making smart decisions, either forcing their way into a better situation or teams all working together in three, four team swaps to make everybody better. That's sort of been the nice luxury of the NBA is that there's a world where the GMs and the front offices of of these teams are in such good graces with each other because of how things are handled, because the players kind of run the show, that we can get massive blockbuster moves with multiple superstars or even multiple young players who have superstar ceilings at any point in time over the two months of the, of the offseason before we start to dive into preseason and, and things like that, summer league ball. It feels like the past two offseasons, most of August has been about negative, about players not getting their way or teams putting their foot down or clamping down. And there's almost like a fight, a back and forth happening that's it's made this league a little awkward in terms of how I, I read it. And I'm, I'm into it. I, I track every move. I follow every move. I watch a lot of it, a lot of it, especially come playoff time. So I'd say I'm, I'm, not, I'm more than just an average fan and, and an average you know, NBA contract tracker, even though it's not what I do specifically for spot track uh, with the other sports in hand. It seems to me like the back and forth is getting uglier and uglier and maybe even more routine. And I wonder if that's going to be a sign of things to come now. Daryl Morey has done this twice to us, right? With Ben Simmons and now Harden. I guess twice with Harden specifically too. And he didn't break the first time. And I'm positive he's not going to break this time. And the difference with this one, with James Harden, and by the way, Keith Smith has a phenomenal piece on spytrack.com. It is so good that I don't want to write a new, another article right now and take it off of the top fold of spytrack.com. I want to make sure as many people read this thing as possible because it is not your usual... James Harden doesn't or wants to get traded but can't get traded. And here's how here's why in A, B, C, D, and all that. It is so in-depth talking about the historical context of 
James Harden, of Daryl Morey, of the two teams, of how the 76ers salary cap situation might be affected, is affected, could be affected going forward. What happens with Joel Embiid if A, B, or C happens? Keith just went five cups of coffee and write this thing out, and it is beautiful. So I'm leaving it there at the top fold for a while. Please go get it after, the, after you hear this because it's going to say things a lot better than I'm ever going to be able to. I'm simply pulling out some context and saying, this feels like the ninth time I've had this, I've had this thought in my brain over the past two off seasons. And by the way, the Dame Lillard one is also there. And, and maybe that's even worse because Dame Lillard's not, not just saying it's time for me to go after all these years of being a good soldier in Portland. He's saying, I want to go there. All right. To the point of where he's gotten fined essentially by the league for that demand, that specific of a demand. Adam Silver has never stepped in on any player saying, I'm not happy. I want to leave. In fact, he has encouraged it with most of the decision making he's had. But the Dame Lillard one specifically, and I guess the Harden one as well, right? Because Harden attacked his own front office on that Chinese uh, live stream. And Adam Silver docked him 100 grand for it. So even in those regards, there's similarity here. So the Harden one's still at the forefront. The Dame one has sort of been backburnered, but that's common, right? Especially once we break preseason and into the season. And I don't believe he'll be traded yet because I don't believe Portland wants to deal specifically with, with Miami only and get back the pieces they've offered, which means they need a third team. And for some reason, right? For some reason, nobody's willing to play ball right now with that situation. And nobody's touching the James Harden situation. I'm going to leave the Dame one alone because I feel like we will come back to that in a couple of weeks when, when that comes back to the forefront a bit. But here's where I think this Harden one may go. And I believe Keith does a nice job of this in the piece. I don't know that James Harden will step on the court anymore. And if he doesn't, A, he's going to lose a boatload of money, right? He opted into that 36 and change or 35 and change. There's a, there's a pretty clear avenue for him to play international ball right now where he is coveted, where his style of play, by the way, is coveted in a world in the NBA right now where his style of play is not coveted. In fact, we applauded him last year because he moved so far away from that style of play and into a facilitator role with Joel Embiid that it feels like he doesn't even know where he wants to be right now. He certainly doesn't want to be on this organization playing that kind of ball again. He wants to cook. And that's all he's really ever done. It's all he's really ever known for. And if nobody's willing to do that here, and it sure seems like that's the case, okay? Toronto's been rumored. They're not going to do this. Portland's been rumored. They're not going to do this. International ball might be the best option for him. Maybe even China, where he's clearly loved, okay? Maybe even more now than ever. That would be something, okay? That would be a flag in the ground moment for teams, front offices, being able to push back and say, okay, this is the official start or maybe the middle of the player empowerment era dying right here. You know they want it to happen. Everybody's afraid to say it out loud because the second you're the team that doesn't want to play nice with the players, you stop getting players. Exhibit A, the Knicks, okay? Daryl Morey is playing hardball right now for the third time. And his organization is suffering because of it. And they're going to suffer on the court. 
And if they start to suffer enough, they're going to lose Joel Embiid, and that's going to be the end of the process, the official end of the process. If we're already there, we're nearing that. But that will be the official end. So I'm foreshadowing a situation that is probably pretty unlikely. But if James Harden doesn't get any, anything he wants here, anything, just one team that will take him on and either extend him to something he's looking for, not likely, or at least give him the opportunity to play the style of play he's looking for, possibly likely. He's going to sit. Okay, He's going to Ben Simmons this thing. And I don't think that retirement from the NBA and signing on with some international team is completely out of, sc- out of scope here. So it's one to watch. Okay, We've seen a lot of versions of this, right? John Wall essentially be benched at $40 million per year. Ben Simmons essentially bench himself with a variety of mental and physical ailments and then have to wait out a trade and then still sit out with mental and physical ailments. So essentially retiring because there's physical and mental inability for him to play basketball and taking a boatload of money because he hasn't officially retired. We've seen all sorts of things in this league. My point in this is this would be a new one. This would be pretty fresh. Okay, a minor superstar, still minor, refusing to play for a front office that he has publicly blasted, and then not just sitting around and, ca- and cashing your checks, but walking away from the league to go play basketball somewhere else. I think it's in the scope. I'm here for it. I'd like to see some of this pushback actually get to an escalation level of that degree. And then we get to deal with Dame Lillard which might feel a little bit more like home, but still just as negative. I think the teams are, are starting to push. That's the overarching theme of what I'm saying here for this, this little segment. It feels like there's a come to Jesus moment happening. I don't think you're going to get 30 teams on board with doing it, but it sure seems like some of them are. And we're seeing it with some free agent contract values. We're seeing it a heck of a lot more with some of these trade values. All right, the Rudy Gobert trade is going to be one of those that sits up there that everybody looks at and says, man, oh man, what were we all doing throwing away first round picks like that? So we have a couple things right now that could become flag in the ground moments. I think this Harden situation is at least getting to the point of being one of them. And finally, Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern is cut down deadline time for the NFL. Plenty of moves already happening. Literally, as I'm speaking right now, there are transactions blowing up in front of me that I am not putting in. So I will certainly get to that as soon as I get off this show. There's going to be dozens. Okay, we've got 90-man rosters cutting out of 53. You can do the math if you need to. Some of those players are going to the IR. Some of those players are going to you know IR return. Some of them are going to the pup list. Many of them are hitting the waiver wires, uh, including, by the way, a bunch of veterans on near or at minimum contracts. And you're going to question, why is my team cutting the the backup right tackle or the swing tackle or the starting defensive tackle? Why is this happening right now? Here's why. I tweeted it today. I tweeted every single year. I like to talk about it every single year. It's important and and it happens. And if you think it's one of those things that people say out loud, but doesn't really happen, I promise you it happens. Good players. Necessary players, vital depth pieces to all of these teams will get released out of their contract in the next week or next 48 hours for one reason. If you are under contract as a veteran player, four years or more of accrued seasons, if you're under contract at the week one deadline, 
So that Tuesday before week one starts, your base salary, your P5 salary becomes fully guaranteed for the season. In order to stop that from happening, your team releases you out of that contract prior to that deadline and then agrees to sign you back with a wink-wink negotiation as they release you. They sign you back on 99.9% of the time the exact same contract, but now it's prorated, right? Now it's week to week instead of being fully guaranteed for all 18 weeks. So it takes the control away from the player, gives it all to the team, and at any point in time, especially from an injury perspective, if you get, you know, get released out of that contract in week six or week eight or week whatever, only a prorated portion of it now hits and is paid out to you. It's dirty. It's ugly. I wish there was something in the CBA that stopped this from being the case, but it's the truth. And it's going to be a part of every single team's roster cuts over the next 48 hours. You can book it. You can bet on it with all of your mortgage money. It's going to happen. So it's just one of those things that has to be said out loud in case you're freaking out about player X being released from your team. I promise you, if he's that important, he will be wink, wink, brought back the Wednesday before week one, okay? Or the game day of week one and elevated from a practice squad from a 53 to a 55 man scenario. Okay, there's ways to do it now that the CBA offers that makes the team even look like it never even happened. It's a procedural move. The procedural move of it is take the guarantee away and make it a prorated scenario that they can control his week-to-week status. It stinks. It's BS, but it exists, and there's nothing stopping it right now. And finally, the Cardinals are doing exactly what they thought we were going to see them do, which is try to not win a lot of ball games, And it's understandable. I'm not here to tell you they're doing it for another quarterback. They're doing it because it's the right scenario for how their roster was going to look at week one and maybe even at week eight, right? There was a lot of fat they needed to trim off this roster, even to be good with Kyler Murray in the immediate future. This is a purge year. This is a new regime year. This is a new coaching staff year. Everything about this was screaming, start over a little bit here and there, take your lump in 2023 and come back firing in 2024. That's exactly what's happening here. Okay, they've made two trades away and one trade in. The one trade in is another possible QB2 option in Joshua Dobbs from the Cleveland Browns. They actually gave up a fifth round pick to get him. Um, But look, they moved a arguably starting possible offensive tackle in Josh Jones. I think a lot of teams saw that happen and said, why the hell weren't we in on that one? Because this guy is only getting traded because Paris Johnson and DJ Humphreys exist on that roster. He has an expiring rookie contract that they simply did not want to have to account for financially next year. So let's get some trade value for it. They got a seventh, excuse me, they got a fifth round pick and ended up flipping that for Josh Dobbs to be more depth at the quarterback position because Kyler Murray is not going to play much ball this year. He's just not, okay? It's a long road back from the injury he suffered and they absolutely have to slow play him back because he is worth $200 million to them. The other move, former first round pick Isaiah Simmons, who has been linebacker, he has been safety. He was brought in because of that versatility and he hasn't been a fit at all at either of those positions for Arizona. He decided he didn't want to play linebacker anymore. That was publicly stated by him and his camp. If he was going to play safety, it wasn't going to be for Arizona, okay? Because there's a defensive back now running the show in Arizona. He looked at Simmons and said, you are not a safety for us, so we're going to trade you. They traded him for a seventh-round pick to the Giants, and he may start. There may be games where he starts for that Giants defense, a good Giants defense. So change of pace, change of scenery may work out for both here. 
But getting a seventh round pick back for a former first round pick, that's brutal. All right, that's rough. They already declined the fifth year option. Um, so this is an absolute punt move from a player's positional perspective. Save a couple of million in terms of finances, but that's it. That's all this move was about. This was a rough take for Arizona. But again, that's the point of 2023. Let's take our lumps and see where we can be in March with a healthy Kyler Murray and maybe a top four draft pick, which could be really valuable either as an as a pick, as a selection, or maybe even more so as a trade chip to get this team back on the ground. All right, we'll be back with roster cuts, some baseball news as that, I mean, we'll be in September by the time I talk to you next. That's it. That's, let's make some September call-ups and get ready for the postseason run. Brandon Kravitz will join me on our Thursday edition, and we will uh, go around the room again because it's that time of year when all the sports are relevant, all the sports have something hot going on. We're going to have more NFL trades to get to. There's no question about that. There's some names I could have rattled off today. You probably know them all, so hopefully we'll have some news on that. Um, and I should have some full breakdown info on Josh Jacobs and we'll detail that contract, which I don't think is as, as strong as it's being reported. I'll explain why when we get it on the next edition of the Spot Trade Podcast.